Lord is indeed present with us this morning. And I'm glad each one of you are here this morning. And if you are a guest and you've not been with us before, I hope and pray that you've sensed the Lord drawing near to you. We come together not just to to do church stuff, but to meet our God. God is present and God is present for you. And I hope you'll open your heart to him. I'm in a series right now. Most of you already know that. It's Faith Matters, and we're talking about faith, how it works itself out in different aspects of the Christian life. This morning and next week, I want to talk about faith and guidance, as in divine guidance, as in God leading us through life to make the right decisions and to walk in his will. Sometimes that's pretty obvious. You have a Bible verse that tells you what God's will is, but so many times that's not the case. No Bible verse will tell you who to marry. might tell you who not to marry, but it won't tell you who to marry. No Bible verse will tell you what college you ought to go to. It won't tell you necessarily whether or not you should borrow money to expand your business. There are lots of areas where we want God's guidance in a guidance that goes beyond what the Bible explicitly teaches. And that's what I want to talk about this morning and next week as well. That's because it's a large subject. It's a large subject, lots of different pieces to it. And I can't deal with all of it even in two Sundays, but I know it would be a travesty if I tried to do it in one. So this morning and the next morning. Now, ordinarily in church, we'll open up the scriptures and we'll read first from the Bible and then explain the passage and apply it. This morning, I want to take it in a different way. I want to set the table, try to to prepare the ground for us to ask the right questions of the scriptures that we're going to receive. So, Give me a few minutes, if you would, to introduce this subject, and I want to begin by telling you a story. I was a young pastor in Baton Rouge with a small congregation. We rented facilities on Sundays. It was the Lodd Fellows Lodge Hall. When you opened the door, there was a picture on the left with the all-seeing eye staring at you. When people would come visit the church, they'd take a look at that picture and think, what kind of church is this exactly? It was just a meeting room. We didn't have anything adequate for children. So as you might expect, anyone who came to our church who had children wouldn't stay at our church. And it was a difficult time. I didn't know what I was doing. I I was calling on God to guide me, to lead me. I knew we needed to find another place to meet, but I had no idea where that might be. It's not like we had a lot of cash. I mean, it's a small congregation. So one day I was praying. In fact, I was praying on the floor, on my face, asking God to show me the way forward. Just asking him, Lord, speak to me. Show me the way forward for this church, for what you want for us. You've called me to it. Please guide me. Help me. And while I'm laying there, I have this impression. I need to get in the car and start driving. Well, that's strange, but I thought, well, I just asked God to guide me. Maybe God's guiding me. So I got up. 
got in my car and started driving. And I'm praying, saying, Lord, I'm doing it. I just don't know where to go. I just pray that you'd lead me. And so I'm trying to be sensitive to the Spirit. And I'm driving down the road and come to the first stoplight there at Segan Lane and Perkins Road in Baton Rouge. And I, I feel like I turn left. I turn left. And I come all the way down to Highland Road and I turn right. And I'm just driving down, not sure exactly what's going on, but I've just been praying for God to lead and, and praying that God would give us a place, a place where as a church we could meet. And so I drive down Highland Road for a few miles, and then I just have this sense, turn right, I turn right, and I go back into this little neighborhood, and there was this church right there in the middle of the neighborhood, a small building. It fit our congregation perfectly, a small building. Nobody was there. It was empty. It was obviously a small church, so probably they just met on Sundays. They may not have even kept an office. The pastor may have been bivocational for all I know, but what I saw was the perfect building for us. I walked around it, looked at it, prayed. I drove over to the church office, which was, <laughs> it was some retail space we rented right next to the Odd Fellows Lodge Hall. And I was praying, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? Well, this was back in the day when you still had yellow pages and look things up in yellow pages. So I looked up church. I found this church. There they were. There's their phone number. Hmm. Do I dare? I picked up the telephone. I dialed the church number. It must have forwarded me to the home of the pastor because a woman picked up and I said, hi, my name is Paul Sands. I'm the pastor of this church here in town. And, and I was wondering if we might be able to rent your church building. There's this long pause on the other side, up into the phone. And I'm thinking, you are so, I can't believe I just asked her that. She was obviously offended. Long pause, she said, just a minute. Let me have you talk to my husband. So pretty soon, her husband comes on the line. He's the pastor of the church. And I said, hello, my name's Paul Sands. I'm pastoring this church. And I was wondering if we might be able to rent your church building. And he said, well, are you, you're talking about Sunday afternoons or Sunday mornings or what? Right then I wanted to bail and say, oh yes, Sunday afternoons. But that's not really what I was after. And I'm thinking maybe God's leading me. So I said, Sunday morning. And I'm just waiting for him to, Sunday morning, another long pause. He said, I was just sitting at the table with my wife and we've been talking and praying about the need for our church to relocate. We've been struggling, and most of our members in another part of town, and, and this, this is amazing. 
Why don't you come to the church? We talk about it. So I did. I've got to abbreviate this story, but, but I did. I went to the church and we talked about it. Linda was with me. He showed me around, told me about the history of the church, why it was they wanted to move. And he said, I really think this is, this is right. He said, let me talk to some of our leaders and, and see about making this happen. And so he did. He called me back later. He said, I've talked to my leaders. They are on board. They're supportive of it. We've got to have a business meeting. That's going to be in two weeks. And then we'll vote and we can move forward with it. I said, that's wonderful. And so I tell my church about this. And they're excited because we're this little struggling church. And you have this sense that God is with us. God is actually leading us. I felt like that because here I am, the pastor of a small struggling church. It felt good to feel like God was behind me. God was working. God was guiding me. So two weeks, and we have Sunday night service, and everybody comes to the Sunday night service because we're expecting a phone call. After the business meeting, the phone rang. I pick it up. He said, Paul, I don't know what to tell you. The church voted it down. He said, people who haven't been to the church for two, three years showed up to that business meeting. When they heard about what was happening, they weren't going to let it happen. They came and they voted it down. I don't know what to tell you. I was crestfallen. I can't tell you. So discouraged. I felt like God had been, been teasing me with this opportunity, raising my hopes, and then bam, nothing. I didn't know how to package it up theologically. What went wrong? What happened? Was I led by God or was I not? Were these people somehow resisting God? And if they were, then, then what does that say about God's leadership? Can God not oversee his own will being executed? I had lots of questions. It's so a little bit of a year later, I got a call from that pastor. And he said, Paul, I've got to tell you, it, I think that it was God's will for us to have you move into the church and for us to move along. I really do. It said, it seems like, it seems like since that happened, the blessing of God has just been removed from our church. I mean, it just seems like this, we grieve the spirit. I, I think we need to go back at this. We need, to, we need to come back, and I want to talk to the church again about it if you're still interested. I said, of course I'm still interested. And I'm thinking, wow. I mean, God is not going to be denied. And so, of course, the story goes forward. They have the business meeting. Guess what? Voted down again. Twice. Now, if you know anything about storytelling, you know about the rule of three, right? One, two, three. Except there is no three. That's the end of the story. That's it. It never happened. We ended up making other arrangements, managed to build a building, we moved into it. It never happened. So 
What was going on when I'm on my face saying, God, guide me, and feel impressed to get in the car and feel led all the way to this building and call this pastor and have the nerve to ask him to let me have his building? And he says, I've just been praying about this with my wife. This is amazing. What was going on there? I tell that story because we tend, to, we tend to suppress those stories. We tell the stories where everything works out, right? Where it fits the narrative. And I've got some stories I could tell where God, I felt, was leading me, and it turned out that extraordinary things happened. But I've got other stories just like the one I told. And the problem is we don't tell those stories. We kind of brush them under the rug. Now, when I'm seeking God's will at that point, when I'm praying, when I am trying to hear the voice of the Spirit, I was practicing, I was practicing a Christian form of divination. You ever heard the word divination? It's an ancient practice whereby people try to discern the will of God or the will of the gods and to be able to predict the future. There are lots of different ways that people practice divination. Sometimes it's trying to hear the voice of the gods. Sometimes it's watching for omens, signs, signs in the heavens, the flight of birds, the the stars in their alignment. It can be all sorts of things that happen, Um, unexpected births or even, even examining livers, that's true. Something called hepatoscopy. The, the ancient Babylonians were experts in hepatoscopy. What they did was they would sacrifice animals and then they would take out their liver and the liver was the seed of blood and blood is the source of life. And so if you're gonna hear from God, where, where better place to hear from God than the liver? And so priests would, the priests had, had very well-developed maps of livers, and they would interpret it by its shape, by its markings, by its colors, and they took this very seriously. Um, no, no, no emperor or king of Babylon would think of going into war or signing a treaty without having the priests come to offer sacrifice and, and inspect livers. That's what they did. Divination is this attempt to read the mind of God or the gods and to see the future through various means of that sort. Now, that's exactly what I was doing. I was trying to read the mind of God by being really sensitive to some inner movement in myself. It's a Christian form of divination. Now, the problem, and and I promise you, I'm, I'm heading to the Bible here in a minute, okay? I promise you. The problem with divination, number one, is it's not practical. We make hundreds of decisions each day, and we can't, we, can't be, we can't be inspecting livers for every single one. There are only so many animals you can sacrifice, right? So 
how do, we, how do we discern God's will with all these decisions? Well, we only do it with the big decisions. We don't worry about the little ones, just the big decisions. Problem is, you don't know what the big decision is till later. For all you know, when you're driving to visit family up in Dallas, you could take one course or you could take another. And for all you know, one will lead you to a happy family visit and the other will lead to your funeral. For all you know, you don't know what's a big decision until later. Sometimes the smallest decisions are consequential. And so it's not practical. And you know it's not practical because when you're trying to discern the will of God in this means, you know what you end up doing? A decision comes, it has to be made, time is running out, and you go ahead and make it and do the best you can. Isn't that true? It's what we do all the time. It's not practical. It's also obscure because signs, omens, and all the rest don't interpret themselves. We interpret them, and we can interpret them all sorts of ways. So let's say you're thinking about moving to New York, and you walk out to your car after church today, and underneath your, wind, your, your window wiper, whatever, windshield wiper, I don't know what it is. Underneath there, you've got a little brochure offering a, a, a travel tour to, to New York. And you think, wow, that's interesting. And then later that week, you're rummaging through your closet and you find a New York Yankees baseball cap you forgot you own. Now, what do those two events tell you? Are those, are those signs that you're supposed to go? Well, it's just a coincidence. Who's to say? Um, a woman's thinking about quitting her job and starting a gift shop. That weekend, there's a four-page spread in the local newspaper highlighting the most popular gift shops in the city. So is that a sign that gift shops are really popular? I should go forward? Or is that telling her that really the market's already saturated and you better hold off? Who's to know? How do you interpret these signs? You can interpret them any old way you want, depending on what you're telling yourself in advance. So it's obscure. Divination doesn't answer all the questions you want. Now, I realize, I realize this is one of the reasons why I know I'm, I'm, I'm saying some things that some of you won't quite agree with and some of you will be annoyed at me for saying that's this week and next week. And, and I freely admit, I don't have a corner of truth on this subject, and I'm giving you my best working hypothesis as I understand Scripture, and I've lived with the Lord for over 40 years trying to make sense of his, his guidance. I recognize that. But even though it may seem like it's biblical to use this approach to discern God's will, it's really not. It's really not. In general, the Bible takes a dim view of divination. It's connected with paganism. But there are places in the Old Testament where you see it's not only practiced, but God sometimes even, even ordains it. For example, the casting of lots. That is a form of divination. Um, dreams, form of divination. There are different ways in which you see this in the Old Testament. It's not as prominent as some people think, but it is there. There's no question about it. But what's interesting is how things change in the New Testament. 
There is one incident that is an act of divination. So after Jesus is crucified, the disciples are waiting. It's before the day of Pentecost. They're trying to decide who's going to take the place of Judas. So they said, we need somebody who's been with Jesus from the beginning, has witnessed the resurrection. We need somebody to take his place. So, so let's cast lots. And they cast lots and they chose Matthias. Now, a couple of interesting things. Scholars are debated as to whether they were actually doing what God wanted them to do right then or not. It describes what they did. It doesn't prescribe what we need to do. But in any case, what's interesting is after the Holy Spirit is poured out, you never see any of that again. It, it doesn't show up anymore. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about the direct leading of the Holy Spirit, okay? Because I do believe the Holy Spirit does lead us. I'm not denying that God will sometimes speak to us and guide us. But it's, it's a different thing than what I've just described as divination. But I don't want to get into that this morning. What I want to get into th this morning is the basic fundamental principle of being led by the Spirit as it's taught in the New Testament, okay? The fundamental principle of how we're led by the Spirit as it's taught in the New Testament. So, here's an interesting verse for you. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And from there, he begins describing the way of life that pleases the Lord. But you notice, how is it that you know the will of God so that you can do the will of God. It comes through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Wisdom and understanding. It's wisdom and understanding inspired by the Spirit that enables us to live a fully Christian life, an insightful Christian life, to use the words, a wise and understanding Christian life. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see again and again, the will of God is associated with just living the Christian life and according to Christian principles. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, listen to this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now notice, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now we need to have a different set of values. We need to have a mind that is shaped by the truth of God so that, putting these scriptures together, 
filled with the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, we are able to discern and do the will of God. Now, these are general statements about how to do God's will. But why make the assumption that you need more than that? See, we assume that God's got this detailed plan that we are responsible for figuring out and then enacting. But what if it's not like that? What if it's more like a a mom saying to her son, hey, I need you to run to the grocery store and pick some things up for me. So here are the keys, take the car and be careful. She doesn't tell him which lane to drive in. She doesn't tell him where to park. She doesn't tell him the route to take on the way there even. She doesn't tell him which which lane he needs to go through. All those things he can simply make decisions about. She just wants him to get what she needs and to be safe. If you actually look at the New Testament, what you see is the thrust of it is, it's a matter of being wise in the concrete situations that come to us. It's understanding God, God's values, that is what's important from his point of view. It's having pure motives. It's not being driven this way or that by some ungodly ambition or lured by some temptation. It's to have a heart settled before God. And that gives us a spiritual wisdom and understanding to make a good choice. At that point, you leave it in the hands of God because it says often in Scripture, certainly throughout Proverbs, that we make our plans, but God is the one who determines what takes place. And so it's not a matter of trying to walk this tightrope. It's a matter of gaining wisdom and understanding. Where do we get that? One more scripture, James 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. He doesn't mean here you should ask for wisdom and then have no doubt that you'll receive the wisdom. Because if you doubt, you're not going to get. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the person who's a doubter, who doesn't have faith and trust in God, And therefore, they're in and they're out. Are they going to do God's will or not? They're half committed. They're double-minded. They pray for God's wisdom, but then again, they have what they want too. That kind of person's not going to receive wisdom. But when you have faith in God and you're all in and you pray for wisdom and you ask God to lead you in wisdom, we have the promise that he will give it to us. He will give it to us. There's some things we need to take into account there but we must have the faith to do it God's way. That's the big problem we have, is that we're not all in. Because sometimes going God's way means going contrary to what the world says is wise, right? So it's wisdom. It's seeking God for wisdom. 
You don't have to walk a tightrope to find what's that precise thing God wants me to do. You leave that to God. You leave that to providence. Relax a little bit and seek wisdom to make a wise decision led by the Spirit. Now, there are times, as I'll talk about next week, but I'm already over time. I've already gone too long. I'll talk about it next week. There are times when the Spirit will intervene and direct you more specifically, but it's not going to come because you're saying a prayer and you're listening to voices or you're examining signs. God may even give you a sign, but the way of divination I've just described is not the way to go. There's a lot I've got to say. It's frustrating for me to quit right now because I haven't even fully developed this idea of wisdom. But I'm asking you to think with me on this. You might go through the New Testament. Start looking on the will of God. See what it says about the will of God. And you're going to be surprised. You don't have really anything in the New Testament tells you you need to seek that will. What you need is wisdom given by the Spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do desire your wisdom in all the decisions we make. We pray that you would lead and guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.